right, we're back. Welcome to all of our listeners and fellow sports card enthusiasts. We are glad you're here, and thank you for tuning into the show. If you're new to the show, welcome to the 615 Collector. I'm Doug Turner, and my partner is Brandon Turner. And as we always like to remind everyone at the top of the show, we do not take sponsorships or get paid by anyone we talk about, which is very much intentional so that you can rest assured the information we provide is unbiased and not financially motivated. So with that out of the way, Brandon, let's jump in and why don't you give the rundown on the show today. All right, yeah, welcome everybody. Uh, We're definitely glad that you're here and listening. We'll start off today with our mail days and we're buying and selling. We're also going to give a quick follow-up to our take on the state of the hobby. Then in keeping up with our tradition, we're going to look at the athletes that wore the jersey number of our show number. Today is 30. Next, we're going to cover all the latest hobby news in the halftime report. And then we have a coach's corner today. We're going to discuss the use of comps. And then in our film study, we'll cover the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and some storylines in the MLB. All right. So, we yeah, let's maybe start off with, because we had a mail day today. You haven't had a chance to see it because it just arrived today. No. We got our one of our PSA orders came back today and you had two cards in that one that was the one you had the LeBron you had the LeBron James and the Kobe Bryant I will say now this is maybe getting ahead of ourselves because we're going to talk about a couple other things but a little disappointed in the lack of consistency in what we've seen from PSA from a grading perspective we grade everything before we send it in and our experience has been with every grading company we've used uh, is that we're pretty spot on. Our average, we've never had a card come back, say with SGC or when we were using HGA um, or any of the other companies, more than one point off of what we thought it would grade. And generally, it's it, we're spot on. So I'd say 90% of the time, what we grade it is what it gets. 10% of the time it comes back maybe a half and typically it's like a half point off very on, on very few occasions we've it's been one point off but what we've experienced with our PSA orders is it seems like in every order there's one or maybe two cards that have surprised given a surprise grade and last time you may recall it was that Michael Jordan baseball card and we actually sent that back in so it's in it's back with PSA now being reviewed by them to determine the accuracy of that grade because we looked at it when it came back again remember that was one we thought had a legitimate shot at a 10 a 9 would be worst case it got a 5 have no idea why that was Uh, and so it's back with them being looked at and this time was no different. So were there 20 cards in this order, and virtually all of them. Let me look here real quick. So um, I, you know, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So 14 of the cards. So 70% of them came back pretty much exactly as we expected. Got the grade that we thought we'd get. There were two, one, two three uh, let's call it four yeah so that would be yeah so there were four that got a grade less than we thought and there were two that got grades higher than we thought Um, and in almost all cases there was only a one point difference in the higher or lower but there were a couple that that were out of band on that regard so one was well the biggest one the most egregious one was the David Robinson rookie, which was the 1989 hoops card. So we thought 
on our grading that that one would get a nine at worst case would get a nine thought it had a legit shot at a 10 it came back a four <laughs> a four and so i took i've already looked at the car we just got it today a few hours ago i took it i put it under the microscope in in you know light and we do a five to ten x magnification on it i cannot for the life of me find how in the world it got to a four the corner same thing with that jordan card the corners are absolutely crisp there is i mean they're as sharp as they can be the the edges are crisp. there's nothing there um, centering is is spot on i don't see anything on the surface no scratches no dimples no marks or anything the only thing i can think of so there's and that card there's a spot on the card it's in the background that card is has david robinson uh holding his jersey when he got drafted in the background there's like a spurs um i don't know you know that background they have when it's like a, a blanket yeah, yeah, or yeah. a sheet or whatever that has the spurs name and logo on it and in that background there's a section of that that is sort of um oh gosh what what's the word i'm looking for it it, it looks like it's been it's faded away or maybe like someone like like there was rubbed water on it and it smeared the ink it's kind of smeared right but that's the card that's the card like that's not mike that's not this card we sent in that is the like every card has that that is the background that's what the background looks like on that card and if you go look at go google it and look at any image of that card that's what it looks like so my only thought was maybe an inexperienced because remember psa has a lot of inexperienced graders now they've hired a ton of new graders obviously they not all of them can have a ton of experience in the short amount of time that they've been doing it so my only thought was maybe an inexperienced grader saw that and thought that somehow that was a smudge or something on the card itself because that's the only thing i could find like did they think maybe that was what the problem was i don't know i have no idea but so i'm gonna have to reach back out to them and we're probably gonna end up sending that one back in and having them review it again which is which is a little frustrating. Um, you had, uh, now we did, good news is though, uh, like I said, on 14 of the cards, we got pretty much exactly what we thought, well, not pretty much, we did get exactly what we thought we were gonna get. One of which was that Joel M.B. Donruss Optic My House. It was the orange uh, parallel on that, which is serial numbered to 39. We thought that could gem out, and it did. It got a, a gem mint 10. I'm so excited about that the uh remember that we had that steve young 1984 usfl card thought that could get an eight it did get an eight happy with that uh the other one that came back so two others that came back disappointing one was remember we talked about the 1984 don russ don mattingly so that was another one that thought worst case nine but i honestly thought it had a shot at a 10 really did i could not find any flaws with the card it was really clean the perhaps the centering on the back of the card could have been considered you know not not sort of 45 50 i think psa is 60 40 but uh the back was probably closer to the 60 40 than a 55 45 anyway based on the published standards i really thought i could get a 10 it came back an eight so and i've looked at that one as well i I can't understand why i got an eight and i don't know you know it's it that the frustrating thing about this is that you know we wouldn't like if i would have graded that an eight i wouldn't have sent that one in 
or like that, certainly that, that David Robinson number four, yeah, I mean, you probably couldn't even give that away. I mean, like in the David Robinson, it has to get a 10 for it to be really worth anything. A nine, maybe you get your grading feedback. Anything less than that, it, it's, it's, you, it's not worth grading. You should just keep it raw. But anyway, it's a four. <laughs> it's like, good. I don't know. Anyway, but so yeah, so the, the Don Russ, or the Don Mattingly, Don Russ, 84, um, came back in eight. So a little disappointing. Going to have to take a look at that. Now, yours, the the Kobe was another one that you had came back a six. I thought that could get an eight. And so I was a little disappointed I mean, with it. And I thought that those were both kind of meh cards. Well, your your LeBron like, was. but the Kobe perspective. Yeah, your LeBron was. And the LeBron deservedly got what we thought. It was a, it got a four. It was in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one's also serial. It's, just, it's a serial numbered uh, card. It was the gold. Um, and so anyway, so that's fine. It is what it is. The uh, but that Kobe really thought that should have got an eight. I looked it over again. I I see what I think might be causing them to give it the eight, but the and it's a very slight mark on the surface of the card. But it is you cannot see it with the naked eye. You can't even see it with like one or two x magnification. The only place it shows up is if you take it up to about seven x on the magnification. Then and get it in the right light, then you can see it. And so I'm thinking maybe that's what caused it to get a little lower grade. I don't know. So I, who knows? I might, we'll see, might send that one back as well. But a couple that we actually got um, higher grades than we thought that was pleased with were those. We sent in those um, 1960 Fleer, which was kind of a specialty baseball set that they did of sort of baseball's all-time great. So we had a Babe Ruth um, that we thought might get a six. Um, but we thought it, it had a shot at a seven, but might get a six. It did get a seven, and then we had a um, a Lou Gehrig in that one that that got a seven, and then the the Ted Williams. Uh, so we thought the Ted Williams in that set uh, could potentially be that one was hard because it really depended on how they looked at the top to bottom centering on it. Um, the left to right centering was good, but so we thought that it could have been as low as a six, but thought maybe a shot as high as an eight well it got a nine but then they gave it the off centering the the oc which stands for off center whatever you call it, qualifier right. which normally that's not great qualifiers will kill the value of a card but with those vintage cards like that the qualifiers tend to not matter as much on the value just because they're a lot more rare and hard to find but so i was pleased that that got the nine because it it really actually was a really clean card except for that top to bottom centering was slightly off the left to right was good but top to bottom was slightly off so uh everything else though you know like i said came in good our magic johnson rookie that was one that actually i thought it could have got a six um and it ended up getting a seven uh, so I was happy about that. Our George Gervin rookie, I thought, might get a six. I thought it had a shot at a seven, but I thought if they grade it tough, it might get a six. It got a seven. So happy about that. That was the 1974 Tops George Gervin rookie. And then, oh, another one that was excited about, the uh, the Jason Dominguez. That was a Bowman Sterling, and it was serial numbered. It was the blue refractor serial number to 25. Thought that one could gem out. Very clean, crisp card, and it did. It gemmed out, got a 10. So nice. excited about that one as well. Anyway, so yeah, 
So that was the that was the PSA mail day today. A lot of stuff in that one. Yeah. So you know, but still, it it is still a little disappointing on some of the inconsistency and in having to potentially send a, a couple of cards back to have them review again. But it is what it is. Let's see what else on uh, buys and sells. Oh, our uh, CSG reholder orders came back that we sent in on the nine and a half to get reholdered in the new label and the t- and regraded at the tens. Those came back. I do have to say that new label is a significant improvement over the old green label, and it does, it almost, it. I don't know, it, it, it's growing on me. It's one of those where when you get it in hand, when you see it in a picture, you think, yeah, I don't know, it's better, but it doesn't necessarily move the needle one way or the other. You get it in hand, and you start looking at it, it's like, yeah, slab's pretty nice, label's, you know, not bad, definitely an improvement, and it start, it grows on you a little bit. So hmm. I think they're kind of cool. Yeah, what do you think? You were, saw them. They were, they were better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. You're not really, a huge fan. I didn't really care one way or the other. I mean, it's better for sure. Yeah. Well, I do continue to pursue that strategy, and we'll see. It may not amount to anything, but I'm pursuing it. I picked up a uh, first Bowman card of Tatis Jr. It's in the 2016. Um, that was in a CSG nine and a half. I got a 2018 uh, soccer World Cup soccer sticker of Mbappe, and then also picked up a Pete Alonso and Nolan Arenado what's called the unleashed insert in the 2021 Don Russ. I like that insert. It's kind of cool. But I picked those all up in CSG nine and a halves. And then of course I have that pools we talked about before. So going to have another uh, reholder order going into CSG. I did buy the non first off the line crown Royale boxes we talked about that Panini released for basketball. I did end up buying two of those. So we'll rip it one and maybe keep one sealed. I don't know if we can, if our discipline is strong enough to keep the other one sealed, but that's the one that contains the popular kaboom insert but also it's just got some other nice autos and cards in it and again it's going to be some of the we're starting to get the first cards of this rookie class so got those and what else our sgc order did get through grading but haven't seen the grades yet they haven't popped yet but it so now it's in what's called the post grading process i did notice though the two cards we got at the mint collective those uh, UFC white sparkle paninis. Yeah, they didn't grade them. I they, don't know so why. So you saw, okay. Yeah, so the grades didn't pop, but they refunded the grading fee on two cards. Oh, okay. And when you go in and look, it says do not grade on those two. All the others have been graded, but the grades don't show yet. Interesting. But those two say they weren't graded, and I'm wondering why that would be. I don't know. Maybe they thought they weren't authentic, which would be hilarious because we got them at the Mint Collective. <laughs> maybe you can't grade those. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, maybe there wasn't. I don't know. Grade them yet or maybe they couldn't know. authenticate them. Who knows? But they didn't grade those. So we need to get more information from SGC on on what happened there. And when we do, we'll we'll follow up with, with our listeners on that. Uh, let's see. I think that was that's about it. Yeah. On the buying and selling in mail days. Mm-hmm. I think you just wanted to follow up. To the state of the market thing yeah quick take on that so last time we did kind of our and, and last couple shows i guess we've kind of given our take on where we think the state of the market is and did want to do a quick follow-up just because it seems to be a widely discussed topic in the industry or in the hobby lately and there are lots of people asking questions there's lots of debates on it obviously the stock market is is uh has been going down cryptocurrency prices going down you know, there's talk about possible economic recession as the Fed raises interest rates to fight inflation and what kind of impact might that have in the sports card market. So a lot of discussion around that. I've heard some talk about how there's not really a correlation between 
the stock market and the card sports card market. But one thing I would say to that, and this is kind of just the one thing we wanted to add here real quickly, is that there may not be a correlation with the stock market per se. I don't know. I can't say whether there is or not. I haven't done the analysis to look at that. But what I would say is there likely is a correlation to something else that can be a driver of the stock market and certainly is a driver of the hobby and the sports card industry, and that is discretionary income. Now, and, and, and so just, just remember, during the pandemic, right, when everything shut down in March of 2020, a lot of people, you couldn't spend on things like vacations, right? So a lot of people would take a vacation to Disney or they go to the beach or they whatever, right? And take vacations, spend a couple thousand dollars, three thousand, five thousand, whatever, right? Um, or they go on a cruise. Or, well, all of that wasn't available. And basically everyone was sort of, what, locked in your house for how many, you know, a year, yeah. a year and a half, right? So what that meant was, but not all, not everyone lost their job, right? A ton of people, I mean, some did, unfortunately, but a lot of folks still had their jobs and they were just now working remotely. So they still had their incomes, but because there weren't other things to spend that income on, the discretionary income that was available for things like spending on sports cards went up significantly. And also keep in mind that during that time, there were a lot of other expenses that ended up getting deferred, right? Like student loans. That's, they're still deferred, in fact. In a lot of cases, people had their rent deferred, didn't have to pay rent for a long period of time. So then you add the stimulus that we talked about. And remember, the stimulus was more than just those $600 payments. It was also the payroll protection loans and other stimulus that a lot of businesses, and there's a lot of self-proprietorships and other businesses in this space, um, that people were getting. And so all of that added up to a lot of extra discretionary income that benefited the hobby. So now, as you get to things opening back up, stimulus is ended, and you couple all that. And so people are now taking you know cruises again. I think Norwegian Cruise Lines just said they they just had the higher high, bookings just exceeded what they were pre-pandemic levels. And you know people can start taking vacations again spending money on other things, you couple that with potentially a tough economic environment as the Fed raises rates and the stock market comes down and everything else. And also keep in mind when the Fed raises rates, that leads to higher payments on other expenses like credit cards or adjustable rate mortgages and things like that. And so all of that leads to less discretionary income available for card spending. And that makes it a tougher market. And that's kind of where we are right now. So there is some, even though people will say there's not a correlation between this industry and the, and the stock market, there is a correlation to discretionary income. And there is a correlation in discretionary income to the stock market because there's a correlation of discretionary income to economic activity. And economic activity is definitely correlated to performance in the stock market. So kind of in a roundabout way, it, there is a correlation there. But as we said before, we think we're working through it. We think we're closer to the end than the beginning. I don't think we're you know, at the end by any stretch right now, but I think we're closer to it than the beginning. And we'll see. We'll see how things play out. But anyway, I'll leave it there. But I did want to just add that point because I had heard a bunch of people kind of making that point like, well, we're, you can't, you know, compare this market to the stock market or whatever. And it's like, well, you, you kind of can. There are some, because if you think about, again, what the drivers are, and that's that discretionary income piece, that's is what's going to make it and has been making it a softer market for the last six months. And it'll continue to make it a soft market for probably a few more months 
uh, before hopefully we bottom out and then set the stage for the next growth path over hope what's hopefully the next you know several years to a decade or whatever because as we said longer term we remain bullish on the space all right uh well we can go ahead and do jersey numbers now yeah show number 30 at 30 today is this a it's a big one it's a big one there you know there were a lot of really big names and there were a lot of sort of middle tier names so i'm probably going to leave a lot of people off this list that listeners might be like oh you didn't mention so and so and so and so but to, in order to keep it somewhat short and manageable, hit mostly on the big names. So one of the big ones right out of the gate is Steph Curry. Yeah, of course. Now his brother also. And Seth and Dell. Yeah, and Seth them. and Dell, his brother and his dad. But, but yeah. So and that's why I didn't put Seth and Dell on the list. Oh yeah, of course, Seth. Steph's kind um, of the yeah bigger name of of those three, but but definitely him. Ken Griffey Jr. So I mean that's icon in baseball. Now. I I could have put Nolan Ryan on the list. I'm not going to. He did wear the number 30 for a stint. I think it was while he was with the Angels, if I remember. But he's really more known for number 34, so I'm not going to have him on the list. That's an example of there are some other guys I didn't put on the list that might have worn 30 for a stint. One of my favorites, Terrell Davis, running back for mm-hmm. the Denver Broncos. Man, it's really too bad he got injured because that guy, I think Terrell Davis would have been possibly the best running back in the history of the NFL if he could and meaning broken all the like the all-time rushing records and everything else if he could have stayed healthy that guy was unbelievable then you had a guy like Henrik Lundqvist uh, goalie in hockey Bernard King in basketball Martin Brodeur in hockey another goalie there were a lot of goal hockey goalies wearing number 30 Uh, uh, Gary Cheevers was another one and then so here's one Lionel Messi now do you really count him or not I mean he wore 10 he wore 30 I think he's worn a few different numbers so I'm not sure but I put him on the list just because he's one of the bigger soccer names and he did wear 30 for a stint and then one of the bigger names in the WNBA is Brianna Stewart and so she's um, she's currently playing I think her Rookie year was 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Of course, Panini Prism WNBA, the first year of that product was 2020. And uh, by the way, speaking of the WNBA, Sabrina Ionescu, near and dear to our hearts, an Oregon Duck, um, she did not wear number 30, doesn't wear number 30, but she's having a really good start to the season. So happy to see that. And uh, oh, I did pick up one of her. I She got one of her CS. I got her Panini, her 2020. So I have her 2020. Panini Prism um, card, but I picked one up in a CSG nine and a half to get it reholdered. Okay, because I thought it was I thought it was cheap. But anyway, so all right, so out of that list, Steph, Steph, yeah, this is a hard one because I have to. I mean, I can't help myself. I got to go Homer here and go Trell Davis. That's okay. But I mean, I do love Steph, and I and also you know the kid Ken Griffey Jr. The tough one, or Lionel Messi in soccer. I mean, Brianna Stewart, WNBA. There's so many good ones here, but I'm gonna go Trell Davis, Denver Broncos, because like right. I said, I think that guy was one of the most unbelievable running backs. Yeah, there's always. I mean, that's always the question if they didn't get hurt. <laughs> D Rose always comes to mind for me. Yeah, I really think he would have been like the best player ever if he didn't yeah. have all those injuries. He well, he could have been. I mean, it's a really small sample to go off of, but like, yeah, I mean. Not a lot of guys come in that good that quickly, so. All right, should we move on? 
Yeah, let's go ahead. Halftime report. So not a ton of hobby news this past week, but we did get an update on the sale of the Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, so they signed a deal to be acquired by a consortium uh, led by American businessman Todd Bailey, or is it Bowley? Bowley. Bowley. Todd Bowley, yeah. The deal's reportedly worth up to $4.9 billion, I I should say. Bowley is also part owner of the Dodgers in L.A., the Lakers in L.A., and the WNBA's L.A. Sparks. PSA announced that the $50 economy service level is now open for all Collectors Club members and that the estimated turnaround time for that economy service level is 90 calendar days. It has a declared value limit of $999. Yep, and all that means is if the card has a value above that, then you'll get charged for the next... That's when you get the upcharge for the next service level up above that. Uh, They said there will be no limit to the number of cards you can submit, and the weekly events that they were doing, remember they used to do five cards, now they upped the allocation to 20 cards. Well, now those weekly events are being suspended indefinitely because they're basically just opening up the economy service to everybody. They also said that they are tracking to be finished with clearing out their backlog by early fall of this year. Yeah, and so they said that the backlog's now at about 3.6 million cards, but I think almost more importantly here, they said that over half of that backlog has actually already been serviced by their grading department, They're meaning also, they've been graded. They just haven't been shipped back to their, to, the, uh, to their owners. They're also eliminating the complete through date reporting except for the value services yep and they're now publishing estimated turnaround times for their various service levels that are open these turnaround times are in calendar days not business days and here's where they're at so their premium service is at three days their walkthrough service is at seven the super express is at 14 their express is at 30 the regular is at 60 and the economy is at 90 and I don't remember the prices on each one of those levels I do remember the or we just reported the economy level that 90 day turnaround is $50 I know the regular level is $100 I think Express is 150 as I remember and then I don't know if it works up $50 you know or how that I can't remember but that's where those are at and the those are calendar days not business days they also shared a heat map for where the backlog exists. Yeah, and so we've got, we'll have to maybe post this on social media or something so our listeners can see it, but we've got it in front of us. And really, the backlog is mostly in, as you would expect, it's in modern, the value service of modern, and with when ultra modern and then TCG. A lot of the vintage stuff is has been cleared. So, like I said, in that modern, ultra modern, and maybe some TCG, and it's uh, submissions that were, remember, this is not when they were submitted, but it's when they were booked into the system by PSA, because remember, PSA shut down at the end of March in 2021, but they were still booking in stuff they had received, and so most of this stuff is stuff that got booked into their system in April and May, and they don't really have much of a backlog in the new service levels that they've opened up in this year in 2022 which is one of the reasons i think um they're doing this and so like i said because and they even talked about that how they got to keep their grading department kind of keep that workflow going and so they want to get more orders in so it's going to be interesting to see what happens here that tells me that maybe they weren't getting as many economy level submissions as maybe they were thinking Uh, anyway i don't know we'll see don't want to speculate but i'm guessing there might be another service level open up 
sometime here in the not too distant future. All right, so let's right, talk so about some of the some card headlines. ladder headlines. They have some record sales. We like to do that now, kind of a segment of the halftime report. So remember, these are record selling prices for the grade, not just the card. So it's not just so the first one, 1957 tops Bill Russell. This isn't a record for that card. It's for the grade of that card. So this was a PSA four and a half. So a five might have sold for more, or a nine might have sold for more. But this is a record for that card in a PSA four and a half grade. It sold for twelve thousand five hundred fifty-five dollars. Um, this one, we've talked about this. We had Jerry Helper on our show that talked about him, and that's Austin Matthews. Uh, his uh, twenty sixteen SP Authentic autograph card. It was serial numbered to nine hundred ninety-nine. It was in a PSA ten. Sold for a record nine thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. You had a twenty eighteen Josh Allen Kaboom card. That insert we talked about, it, this was in a BGS 9.5, sold for a record $6,125. There was a 1963 Topps Mickey Mantle. His stuff continues to do well. And a PSA 8 sold for a record $15,600. And then a 1975 Topps Hank Aaron card in a PSA 9 sold for a record $7,500. A couple others I'll touch on, some that relate actually to some of the playoffs so we talked about austin matthews in hockey well another hockey player alexander ovechkin has a 2005 sp authentic autograph it's kind of that same card just different year the sp authentic autograph serial number 999 this one was in the bgs 9 the auto had a 10 grade sold for record eleven thousand one hundred dollars and another one i thought was interesting was the 87 fleer Charles Barkley in a PSA 10 sold for a record $3,750. Um, one that might be playoff related. I don't know. You can let me know if you think that might be the case. The 2018 National Treasures, DeAndre Ayton. It was an RPA, Rookie Patch Auto. It was the first off the line edition, so a serial number to 20. It was in a PSA 8, sold for $3,500. He's been doing pretty good in the playoffs, right? Oh, yeah. 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 That might, I mean, that kind of. A card might just be because it's that kind of a card, though. Yeah. There were a couple of Gaudi Lou Gehrig cards. One, uh, it was the 1933 in an SGC6 that sold for a record 17500 One that I really like that I've been trying to find, one that I can afford, uh, is the 1948 Leaf Stan Musial. This one, Musial, in a PSA 7, sold for a record $17,400. And then one that uh, some of our listeners may have, Although I don't know, because this is the Tiffany version. This is the 1986 Topps traded Bo Jackson. But remember with that, there was also what's called the Tiffany. So there's the regular Topps traded, and there's Topps traded Tiffany set. The Tiffany sets were limited in production, and every one of those sets were numbered. Not the cards, but the, the box itself, so there was limited production on them. But this card in a PSA 10 sold for a record $14,000. Wow. So... All right. Well, I think that does it for the halftime report, so we can go ahead and move on to the coach's corner. All right, so we want to talk about comps. This has been another what one. What is a comp? So that's just when you talk when you say comps, it's hey, I'm going to look up like the comparable prices okay. that a card has sold for or transacted, right? Bought, been bought and sold. And this is like the state of the hobby. This has been another, for whatever reason, one of those hotly debated topics recently that seems to come up in a lot of questions and conversation. And a lot of it's being fueled by sellers who, in my opinion, are 
getting unreasonably angry and upset about buyers using comps and so i've seen some people post on social media signs that are like if you say comps around me then you know don't then basically like leave don't buy anything leave i don't want to have anything to do with you it's silly it's stupid to be quite honest it's totally ridiculous um or else you're supposed to go off that's what i was gonna say and the question i would ask is I'd ask the seller that has a problem with a buyer talking about comps, well, how did you come up with the price for the cards you want to sell? I mean, come on. Exactly. Like, it's just silly. So, and, and look, I, you know, I get it. Comps aren't everything. I mean, if everyone just did nothing but pay the last, you know, what, what comps were, or the last comp, the last sale, then prices would never change, right? So, yeah, you know comps aren't everything but at the same time you've got to have some kind of reference point our cards aren't like other assets say like stocks where values are based on something tangible that can be analyzed there might be you know like in stocks you you whatever percent of of the company you own you're entitled to the profits that percent of the profits of the company and so you can value what that's worth you project what you think the company's profits are going to be over a period of time and then the rate of return you want to earn on your money over that period of time, you can kind of discount all that back and come up with what you think is a fair estimated value for that today. Well, collectible assets don't have that, right? And so really the only thing you can use are, are, are com what comparable prices. What is the market? What's the supply and demand, right, for those cards that you're wanting to transact in? And that's all comps is intended to do is give you uh, information about where the market is, where the supply and demand is, and and how that relate, you know, where that sort of equilibrium, if you, you want to use economic terms, um, is, uh, and the price that people are paying for this stuff. And so, I would say that look, because I've also heard the argument, people don't use comps and other things like housing. I'm like, what are you talking about? People use comps in housing all the time. Now, granted housing is also you know driven by other factors like what's interest rates mortgage rates and things like that and location and all these there's a lot of other things that that get factored in the value of house but comps absolutely play a role so anyway so people use comps all the time comps though are always nothing more than a starting point right comps aren't a definitive guide or statement to this is what the price is it's more of just a starting point. It's a reference point. It's information to help buyers or sellers kind of form where the market is for a given card. What I like to do too, and just for what it's worth, when I'm looking up comps, I actually, so let's say I'm looking at a card that's in a PSA slab. I like to look at where the cards of other grading, where's an SGC sell for? Where does a CSG, where does a BAGS sell for in the same grade? Then I also like to look at, let's say it was a, it's a seven grade. I'll look at what is the eight selling for? What's the nine selling for? What's a six or a five? So I'll try to look at at least one grade above and below. Sometimes I might look two grades above and below just to get a feel for how it steps up or down in value. Um, and then obviously you got to look at things like the pop report to understand supply and, and different things like that. And there are a lot of other factors that are going to drive the price of the card. But ultimately, you just kind of gather all that information to give you a feel for what that what the market is saying that card is worth as it stands today. Now, look, every buyer and seller has a different motivation, right? Some people might have to offer a card out at a fire sale. And so that comp's not really a good comp. And that's why we've also said, too, don't just look at one or two sales transactions. Now, sometimes that's all you've got. 
and so then your comps are not as reliable but other times you've got a lot of transactions and where where you do you know that's that's the best scenario is try to look at at least you know half a dozen a dozen or more preferably more as many as you can get the more the better right but and then look at it over time too how is that trended over time is it going up going down what does that look like uh, but all of that comes back to looking at those comps to kind of do that analysis on where you think the market for a given card is and then ultimately you decide what you want to pay for that card or if you're selling what you want to sell the card for and so if you say well okay comps for this card let's just for discussion sake are 200 bucks but it's a card that I don't see it's rare the pop let's say the pop in a in a grade of 10 is you know let's use SGC is only 20 and it doesn't come to market very often and so even though maybe the last sale was $200, I might be willing to pay more than that. Maybe I pay double. Maybe I'm, I'm look, I'm going to pay 400 because I want that card. And I might be competing like in an auction format with somebody else. And so I'm going to pay more. And so in that case, the comps don't really tell me a whole lot. But in other cases, it might be, there might be a card that's widely available. There might be, you know, like some of the modern stuff, there might be 10,000 of them out there. And if one person is trying to sell it for 200, but 50 other people are selling it for 50, why am I going to buy it from the person selling for 200 when I know I can go get it somewhere else for 50 bucks? So I absolutely should be looking at comps to help me make those decisions and help me kind of form my opinion on what I think a fair price is for, for the card I'm looking to buy or the card that I'm looking to sell. Look, I'll leave it with this, and that is that nobody should apologize. If you ever go to a card show or you're ever dealing with anyone online or whatever in a marketplace, um, you shouldn't ever apologize for looking at and using comps to help you transact in the space. And if you are dealing with someone that has a problem with that and they get mad or angry, upset with you for looking at comps, then I'll just say that is not somebody that you should be dealing with. And so go walk away go deal with someone else because they're not someone you should be dealing with more often than not what that means is they're trying to sell their card for more than it's worth or they're trying to buy yours for less than it's worth and so yeah, they don't want you to use comps right. yeah so you know so deal with someone else because anyone that really gets that upset that's just silly that's just stupid frankly if I'm selling a card, I would encourage someone to I, before I sold it to them. If they really didn't know, I'd say, "Look, here's what, here's how I'm pricing it. Here's why I'm pricing it this way." But go look it up, and I'll, I've, I'll give people sites. Go look at 130 Point. Go look at Card Ladder. Go look at auction house sites. Go, you know, go look at different eBay, you know, and other places to get a feel for what you know you think this is selling for. And then sometimes, like if I've got a, a card that might be priced a little higher, I'll explain why. Like so, when we went to the Mint Collective and we were looking to buy some of those Albert Pujols rookies, right? I mean, look, some guys had their Pujols rookies priced high, and I was like, man, that that's more than I'm willing to pay. But I totally understand why they have them priced that way because they're not. They think that card value is going up, and they don't necessarily want to sell it for what it might be selling for today when they think in the next few months or year whenever they can get more for it so they're going to try to price it up and get a little more for it um, so I get that and so that's the other part of it if you're a buyer no need to get upset with anyone if they you know if someone has it priced somewhere they want to sell it for and they're not willing to sell it for less I totally get that people just get a little too worked up over this particular issue but the main point I want to make here is there's absolutely nothing wrong with using comps 
when you're buying or selling and anyone that says otherwise is not someone you want to do business with it's that simple so let's move on and do film study all right where you want to start let's start with baseball all right this is kind of interesting reed detmers he's a rookie pitcher for the los angeles angels and we talked about him a few shows ago, didn't we? Because he's in that he's uh, in the um, he's his rookie card is in the the Bowman sets that are out. I'm pretty sure we talked about him, but I could be wrong. He's 22 years old. He's a pitcher. Again, pitchers don't get as much hobby love, but he is one of the hot or you know, I guess I say hot rookies. He's one to watch, and he pitched a complete game no hitter this past week against Tampa Bay. It was a gem. And so that was kind of, I guess, nice. announcing his presence with authority. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he's one to keep an eye on because he's had a really good start to the year. And if he continues to pitch like that, then, boy, the Angels are looking like they're in pretty good, uh pretty good spot here with Trout heating up, Otani heating up. I'm liking where the Angels are at. Uh Ronald Acuna Jr. is also starting to heat up. He hit home runs in back-to-back games this past week. Another storyline to look for is Royce Lewis. He's a shortstop. He was the number one pick in the 2017 draft, and he made his major league debut for the Twins this past week. Got his first career hit. He's 22 years old. He was tearing it up in the minors. He was in AAA prior to his call-up. And he missed the 2021 minor league season with a torn ACL. And then, of course, the 2020 season was canceled due to COVID. That, it, it's really unfortunate. He's one of those younger players where the last couple of that COVID, short, you know, cancellation of the COVID season and then an injury really hurt him because basically missing time, right? Missed a couple of years there. But nonetheless, he'll be one to watch. Um, Juan Soto continues to heat up. And uh, so does Pete Alonso. We talked about both of them last time. And, I mean, they're, you know, Soto now has, I think he hit, he hit one last night. I think hit another one today. He's up to, I think, eight home runs. Aaron Judge is playing well, batting about, what, maybe 290 with 10 home runs, 22 RBIs. I mean, when you look at kind of the who the top stat producers are in baseball and I'm not just looking at top batting average or who's got the most home runs but kind of across the line when you look at all the stats right RBIs and runs scored and home runs and stolen bases and batting average and all those different things you know the top of the list is kind of what it's starting to line up kind of what you'd expect maybe the only one on there that might be slightly surprising is is Manny Machado now I don't not surprising in the sense that like we said before fantastic player but he is out of his mind at the beginning of the season. I mean, he, like we said last time, he's hitting 100 points above his career average, so he's doing well. But the other names, you know, you got Mike Trout, Jose Ramirez, Bryce Harper, Pete Alonso, Aaron Judge, Juan Soto. Now, Anthony Rizzo is one we've talked about that's up on that list. Um, of course, Shohei Otani, um, Jazz Chisholm, we've talked about. Uh, Wander Franco looks like he's the real deal up there um on that list so and then of course all your usual suspects with uh, freddie freeman and mookie betts and we talked about rafael devers vladimir guerrero jr uh anyway yeah that's um that's what's going on in baseball now here's something interesting for you there was a story out i figured we'd touch on 
Yeah, this is interesting. That yeah, that home runs are down so far in 2022 in baseball in general, and there has been some stories that the league is tinkering with the baseball, and that's what's causing it. And so now, I'm not being as an organization is just so silly, man. Well, and I don't, you know, who knows whether <laughs> it's just like every year there's something else. Yeah, who knows whether there's this is true or not. Just, but it is true that the league has changed the uh, what do you want to call it the production or structure of the baseball from time to time in past years. But this it's it's fine. I mean, you know, leagues do that yeah. every now and then. Yeah, um, that happens. This year, it, it, it people are believing that home runs are down because the league is has made it so the balls don't carry as far. And even some broadcasters have noticed it. Actually, there was a Dodger game last week. I think they were playing the San Francisco Giants, and it was at Dodger Stadium. And Cody Bellinger just ripped a pitch, um, just ripped it. It came off his bat at over 102 mile, miles per hour. You know, in years past, that's probably a home run. Sailed out to center field, and then just sort of inexplicably died. And like, on how does the, that like it's just like it looked like it was gonna go out and then it just dropped. It just died, like it didn't carry. And even the Dodgers broadcast, both broadcasters, and that was what was funny about this incident was on air live. The Dodgers broadcaster Joe Davis was heard saying, "He goes, give me a break." Like, that should have been, how did that not go out? And then the Giants broadcaster even chimed in, and he was like, it's the ball. It's the ball. So, I mean, even the, you know, the other team's broadcaster. So, the, and, and so like I said, home runs are down in 2022, not by a small amount. Teams are averaging 0.9 home runs per game. That's down from 1.2 home runs per game last year and 1.39 home runs per game in 2019. That's a lot of stats, but, you know, going from one almost 1.4 down to 0.9 that's a big drop and we're not going to go into all the detail about maybe you know what's behind this story but it is like we said it's factual to say that baseball the the baseball itself has changed over the years and that's impacted home run rates so there's been a lot of different sort of scientists and organizations that have studied this there's the I'll use from this one story that was out the ESPN Sports Science they ran some baseballs through a C, through CT scans they found that some from the earlier years um, had significantly less dense cork and rubber core than those from other years um, there's also science behind kind of the amount of silicon that's been used in the core the height of the seams uh, which can impact resistance as the ball travels through the air. And then in 2019, when they averaged that sort of record 1.39 home runs a game, there was reports that Rawlings, who makes the baseballs, and by the way, um, the Major League Baseball has ownership in Rawlings, they started apparently machine-drying baseballs, whereas before they allowed the baseballs to air-dry, and that was reportedly just to in to try to speed the process to increase to meet the increased demand um, but that can also impact how far they travel through the air then you have what's referred to as the humidor effect uh, for the first time this year the major league baseball is storing baseballs in humidors at all 30 ballparks last year only 10 teams were using the humidor in their ballpark that was the Astros Blue Jays Cardinals Diamondbacks Mariners Marlins Mets Rangers Red Sox and Rockies for those keeping score at home but now all 30 clubs have a humidor 
and basically that humidor is just bringing the ball to an average humidity so it's going to dry it out in humid climates it's going to basically quote unquote wet it in dry climates um, the bottom line is that the the drier the baseball the more it flies so and here's some interesting stats so the 10 ballparks that use the humidor last season can serve as kind of a control group on how home run rates compare in the use of the humidor and when you look at the stats uh, those 10 teams basically had home run rates that were without getting into all the details that were lower uh, than the team than the teams that did not use a humidor so that's interesting to me because it seems like that's something that's like we're trying to kind of like even the playing field across like stadiums but like doesn't that to an extent kind of kill home field advantage a little bit i mean obviously you have like your own fans and stuff but like that's a good point when you think about like other sports like and and this particular like an outdoor sport where like the weather can affect it i mean it's not something that like whether the ball is dry or not is like only affecting one team it affects both teams both teams can take advantage of it yeah but my thing is like like in the nfl like they don't like they don't put um lambeau field in a dome because it's too cold yeah and like make all the you know that's certainly you know an advantage for green bay because they play in all the time right it's like one of the best home field and so i'm just kind of like i don't know it's just kind of the cynic- I'm not 100 percent sure whether I agree with myself or not. I just thought I'd throw that out there. No, it's an interesting That's just kind of interesting to it, me. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I'm I'd, not sure if you really need to like balance that part of the game. Well, and the, the cynical person might suggest that because obviously there's been teams right like the Astros, and the Astros were one last one of the ten last year that used the humidor, and obviously they have been found. To have cheated. But they were found sign-stealing. That's different than... No, I know. But here's where I'm going with that. So the cynical person might say, well, if you're the Astros, do you leave... I mean, I don't know how the baseballs get handled, get managed, right? Who's in charge of them? And so if the home team's in charge with them, and then when your team's up to bat... Do you take them out of the humidor a little quicker so they're drier and they well, travel farther? Thing, and when like, the other team's up, you leave like, the ones... Baseball's you know, I don't know. probably like one of the only sports that keeps... Like the game ball, like like am I? Maybe I'm not right about that. Does every sport have the game ball in the home, like the home stadiums or arenas? Yeah, I, well, or I think do like the does. officials bring them in other sports? Oh man, I don't. That's a good question. I don't know. I thought in football that the that the. Um, so I guess it would probably make more sense that the stadiums would just house them, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean the leagues, I think ship them, right? Mm-hmm. But from the manufacturer, but. Yeah. I mean, remember there was that whole Tom Brady. Yeah, like to talk true. about scandal yeah. deflating mm-hmm. the football. I don't know. Anyway, so the debate, here's the debate. The debate, why would baseball do this? Because that's one question I've asked. Why would you would want, like, more home runs is more exciting, I think. And when, because you think about, like, the steroid era, right, with Bonds and McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And uh, one of the reasons, like, that it, I mean, tons of people started tuning in to watch those guys chase home run records and everything else. But the argument... And like he, when you go to a game, you want to see a home run. Right. You don't want to go to a game and not see a home run. Exactly. That see a sucks. fly out to center. <laughs> yeah, like if you go to a game, you're like, oh man, I want to I want to catch a home run or I want to see one. I want to see someone absolutely rip it. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the debate here is, does Major League Baseball want more contact and balls in play and more action on the field and if so, are they making balls less lively so that fewer home runs are hit? 
There's still plenty of action on the field. I don't know. I mean, that's interesting because to me, you always want to do what is going to bring your sport the most attention. You want to do what's going to be the most interesting for the fans. And I think in baseball, more home runs is probably better as long as you don't get carried away because home runs are like a big part of what people want to see. Yeah. And like you think about any other sport, like, you know, I, I compare it to the NBA, like they kind of changed some of the rules um, in the past, you know, decade or, or whatever to kind of give the offense a little bit more leeway. Like they don't have hand checking and, you know, a couple other rules that to, you know, increase scoring because people want to see, people want to see guys get buckets and they want to see guys score 50 points and like right the way the rules are set up now make it a little bit easier for the NBA same player thing to do that. and I'll, I'll compare this to luka Doncic went on jj reddick's podcast which um is not family friendly by the way just putting that out there he said that it's like 100 percent easier to score 30 in the nba than it is in euro league because of the rules and how much space you have in the nba and so i just yeah. think that's interesting because like they did that because the fans want to see scoring and so generally you want to do what the fans um, are most interested in yeah so i'll say that well the bottom line is the baseball is not carrying the same way it did in the past few years the home run rate is down significantly or at least early in the season season's still young we do need a lot more data before we can fully understand uh, whether this is something that's legitimate whether maybe the humidors are having an impact on it and and that's one thing I will say too here. It wasn't clear to me when they were doing when they were comparing this year's numbers to the past, whether they were comparing apples to apples. Because you have to compare the time of the season. Because I will say this, early in the season, when you're in the spring, there's always fewer runs, fewer home runs, generally speaking. Now maybe there's an anomaly in a given year, but as you get to summer and the weather heats up the ball tends to carry more in that warmer, less dense air. And so you generally see scoring and home runs and hitting and everything pick up into the summer months. But typically in the spring, you do see it's it's a little more favorable for environment for pitchers. So when this study came out, like I said, I don't know, is it comparing a full season to what's happened in May? Well, that's not really comparable. You need to look at the last couple years in the month of April, months of April and May, in comparison to this year's months of April, May to really see, because I'd be willing to bet that the home run rates in those prior years in the first couple months of the season were probably lower than they were throughout the balance of the season. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's true. Who knows? But it'll be it, it, it's something we'll keep an eye on. And yeah, it seems a little counterintuitive to me because I would think that uh, having more home runs hit would, yeah, would bring just, more eyeballs to the sport. And that's always, what baseball needs to do. If you're going to change something fundamental about the game, it should always be to make the game more enjoyable for the fans. And that's the bottom line. So yep, this is what I'll say. All right. Should we go to, you want to go, you want to go hockey next and then we can go to basketball. Cause we don't have sure a whole lot of, of hockey to cover just real quick on our beloved, I guess, quick update on the playoffs. Our beloved Preds got ousted. Yeah, uh, by uh, yeah by the Avalanche, not terribly surprising. The Avalanche are stacked. Uh, by the way, I did notice. So there was on my slabs. I think this was today. A Kale McCarr, uh, uh, Young Guns. So this is the. I think it's the 2019 upper deck is his rookie Young Guns card. And a PSA 10. It sold today for seven hundred and twenty dollars. Hmm. I don't know if that was a new high for that card or not, but I. Let me see if I can look it up. And by the way, 
while I'm looking it up, if you look at his player index on Card Ladder, he has seen some a pretty decent growth over the last three months or so. His player index is up about a little better than 11%. So yeah, let's look at his 2019 Young Guns. So yeah, that um, so now it looks like the record price was probably around a little over $800. So that 720 is a little lower than than the high prices that that was selling for before. But anyway, just to give you a reference point where for where his cards are at. The, um, so in some of the other series, Pittsburgh Penguins are up 3-2 on the Rangers. You've got uh, Panthers in uh, Florida. They're up 3-2 on Washington, uh, on Ovechkin and those, those guys, the Capitals. Calgary has finally taken a 3-2 lead. They've kind of had their hands full with the Dallas Stars, uh, but they've now got a 3-2 lead on them. And then uh, what else we got in the other series? that are still out there so the uh the bruins and the hurricanes um the carolina hurricanes lead that one three to two i think they are playing game six right now as we speak tampa bay is actually down two uh, games to three to the toronto maple leafs and then this one was interesting to me st louis the blues are up three two on the minnesota wild now we talked about how toward the end of the season st louis minnesota was hot but st louis also got hot so that's an interesting series to me because you have two hot teams coming in at the end of the season meeting in the playoffs it's the number three and the number four seed um, so we'll see what happens there the edmonton oilers are also got their hands full they are down uh three two games to three to Los Angeles Kings and Oilers are the five seed. Kings are the six seed. They play game six tonight. So, and we've we've already seen like we just talked about. There was an Ovechkin uh, and an Austin Matthews card, both setting records. You just you saw heard you know the Kale McCarr card for um, the Avalanche that sold on my slabs today. So that's where the I don't have a lot of other stuff I guess prepared for hockey but just wanted to give kind of rundown of of where the playoffs are uh you want to do you have anything you want to cover there or do you want to just go ahead and go to basketball probably just go basketball I don't got anything okay let's go basketball basketball playoffs where do you want to start well do you want to start with the playoffs or do you want to start with um like the awards yeah we because can start we with the awards we did not do any awards they've been being announced like every week or so sure I'm, let's like, start with the week. awards um, and we haven't talked about any of them. And a couple of them are kind of interesting. So um, and defensive player of the year went to Marcus Smart, which is the first time a guard has won it since Gary Payton in 96, which is interesting. That's um, interesting. Rookie of the year went to Scotty Barnes. Most improved went to Ja Morant. Coach of the year went to Monty Williams, which I was very happy to see. What am I missing here? Six man. Six man of the year. Yeah, that's what it is. Six man of the year went to Tyler Hero. Of course. Um, that was not a surprise to anybody. And then, of then, course, the MVP went to uh, Nikola Jokic again. So this will be his back-to-back uh, MVP as he won it last year too. So, Yeah, and his stuff, actually, I'm looking at his player index on Card Ladder as well. The last three months alone, that index is up 23%. Probably driven in no small part to... Chris McGill, who we've had from Card Ladder, we've had him on our, you know, interviewed mm-hmm. on our show. Huge Nicola, the Joker fan, I should say, and um, collecting a ton of his cards. Oh, he's so good, man. Yeah, I'm. Um, I mean, he was. If I had a vote, I would have voted for him too. I know people 
some people thought Embiid should have won it. I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. I think Nikola Jokic had the better season, personally. But it's like, I mean, it's obviously really close. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you can't, I mean, you look at it, he averaged like 28, 12, and 8 or something. Well, so the and Joker, like, he's won it back-to-back the last <laughs> two seasons. But prior to yeah. that, Giannis won it back-to-back. Yes. And Embiid hasn't won it yet at all. Embiid is not. He will, I'm sure, but he is not. And I'm still going to make an argument that Jimmy Butler should be in the conversation. I realize he's not at that maybe at that same caliber. He doesn't but look what numbers. he's doing he, in the playoffs. He doesn't he's averaging over 40 points a game against in the 76ers series right now, right? I mean, he's crushing it in the playoffs. Well, I think I and he think crushed it in the regular season too. Well. I don't know. I mean, for the MVP conversation, I mean, this is going to think it's like not a playoff award. Yeah. Um, and like you think, like, oh, well, should we have a playoff award? But I guess that's what finals MVP is for. But um, Well, but not just playoffs. I guess what I like to think, the one thing, the, the argument against Joker, and I know if Chris McGill will probably need to cover his ears if, if he's listening, is that you, you got to win, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Well, that's my thing is why is Devin Booker not, in, you know, in this? But, I mean, I get it. Um, but the thing is, Nikola Jokic uh, has won. And actually, if you look at it, if you look at the winning percentages, Jokic versus Embiid when they play, there's only a 4% difference. Jokic is like 62%, Embiid is 66 Jokic played actually six more games, too. Yeah. So, I mean, and the winning thing, when he plays, I mean, he's actually not really winning that much less than any other MVP candidate. Well, and It's just like the thing is, was he winning as much as the best player on the best team, which is typically who it goes to. But I think this is another one of those situations similar to like, I guess similar to last year. I mean, this is a bit different because they were a little bit lower seeded, but, or, or no, I've got that wrong. They were six seed last year. So yeah, it was literally exactly like last year where he's just like, he's completely carrying this Denver Nuggets team without their second and third best player. Against in contention against good teams, I mean, I think that's the, the issue. The rest of Denver is kind of terrible. I'm gonna be honest. If they didn't have Jokic, they would be like, they wouldn't even make the playoffs with with their roster. Like they'd be real, real low. So let's touch on that for a second because we we have not talked a lot about the Nuggets, and they, yeah, I mean, what they did this year, obviously, in large part to the season that Jokic put together, without Jamal Murray, who didn't play a single game. And then Michael Porter Jr. only played, what, nine games, I think, I've got here. And like you said, those are probably their second and third best players. So basically the whole season without those two and then still was able to keep them in the playoff hunt and make the playoffs. So, yeah, it was pretty impressive. I will correct myself. They were third seed last year. I'm remembering that right. They were the third seed last year. I think they were sixth this year. So... I mean, I don't know. It's just thought I'd correct myself. I'm not really sure if that really changes anything. Well, and and if you're interested, his uh, Jokic's rookie card are in the 2015 sets, and you know the stuff's not cheap. Again, I'll use. I know Panini Prism isn't everything, but we'll just use it since it's the flagship. It's kind of the baseline, and give you a feel. We'll take. We'll look at the silver. And we'll go ahead and look at the PSA 10. I'll show you PSA 9 as well. But the PSA 10 sells for about $3,000, give or take. The PSA 9 sells for about $900, give or take. And like I said, his his index, his card index and card ladder as a whole is up about 
over the last three months. The other two awards I find interesting that I'll briefly touch on, I mentioned Marcus Smart, uh, the first guard to win it since Gary Payton. I just think that's really cool. I like Marcus Smart as a defender. I'm happy that he won it. I thought he... I was wondering if he was ever going to get in kind of contention for that award um, because, you know, in, in previous seasons, he's... I mean, he's kind of always done this. He's always been a really great defensive player. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's been all-defensive team once, if not several times. Um, so I just think it's cool to see a guard win it because that's a really hard thing to do Yeah. Um, in the NBA, especially now. And for what it's worth, that's been noticed in the card industry uh, as well because his. I'm looking at his index on card ladder, and over the last three months, it is up over 120%. Now, if I expand out to about a year, it's only up about 8%. So he was up higher last year, then came down, had a pretty big decline. Yeah, it's probably that probably has to do with Boston going to the East, Eastern Conference Finals all those years and then dropping last year, if I had to guess. Yeah, and so it kind of bottomed out in December of last year and then it's been on the incline ever since, And although really kind of spiked uh, since the NBA playoffs started is where you've really seen the big spike in his cards. And let's see, let's take a look, because his rookie card, I believe his rookie card is in the 2014 sets. And so again, we'll use Prism in a PSA 10. You can get that for around $115, give or take. And that exact card, just a couple of months ago, was selling for more like $60. And then the other one I'll touch on is Most Improved, because I think that this one... I was Jaw. honestly surprised to see Jaw's name even in the finalists, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I understand why he was in there and won it, but again, when I saw the finalists and I saw his name, I was like, oh, that's that's interesting that he's in this. And I was like, well, I guess, but he probably won't win. And then he won, and I was like, okay. For reference, the other two finalists were Darius Garland and DeJounte Murray, who were like first-time All-Stars this year. I think Jaw was also a first-time All-Star, but... He ended last season playing much the same way that he is now. Yeah. Um, and I think Darius Garland and DeJounte Murray kind of took a much bigger leap than Jaw did. And I think the argument to be made is that, oh, well, Jaw went from not an all-star to probably like an all-NBA caliber guy, which I think, okay, yeah, probably. But like the other thing, like he was kind of playing this way last season too. He just missed a bunch of time. So I don't know. I thought my pick would have been one of the other two guys. I just I was surprised to see that. I understand why he won it, but I just I don't think he made as big a leap as the other guys because he kind of came in already like pretty good. Everybody's already talking about him. No one knew who Darius Garland or Ajante Murray really were before this season or before the Olympics for Darius Garland. Yeah, because he was on that select team for the Olympics and they brought him up because some guys couldn't play. He learned a lot there. Came back. He was first from All Star. I mean, he dominated this year with the Cavs. So I don't know, but that was just another one I thought was kind of interesting. Well, and going back to the to Jokic and the MVP, so he was just the 15th player to win multiple MVP awards, and this is the list of players that he joins, which is pretty interesting. It includes guys like Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Moses Malone, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, uh, Bob Pettit, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and then of course Giannis. And I'll let you pronounce Giannis's last name because I never get it right. Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, pretty significant deal if you look so, at that so list. That's nice company names. to I'm be just, a part I mean, of. Jokic is seriously probably the best passing center ever. 
I mean, if you actually sit down and really watch him, and I don't mean just like kind of passively watch, I mean really pay attention to what he's doing. It is really impressive um, just to see him work and see how smart he is. It's And like to see him take the game at his own pace, like he just kind of flail, like it kind of looks like he's just kind of walking around, flailing around out there, but it just works. Like it's, it's almost kind of like Luka in a sense where everybody's like, oh, he's so slow. How does he do that? Jokic is actually, Luka is, I think, deceptively quick. Jokic is literally just slow, and he just takes it at his own pace. He's slow, he's methodical, he doesn't overwhelm you with power, he's a very much a skill center, and he's he just picks you apart, and it's just really really interesting to watch. He's really good, man. He's he's really, really good. Yeah. All right, well, do you want to talk playoffs? Yeah, we can talk playoffs. So um, you said uh, last time that Tyrese Maxey would likely have a good game, and he did co-leading the team in points with 21 added six assists and two rebounds shot nearly 70 percent from the field five of six from threes of course two of two from the free throw line as well yeah all them boys had a good game that game i know that one probably Um, hurts to say that but well no i mean it's it's actually a series now because i mean we laughed off last time we thought Embiid wasn't going to play and then we literally left and we found out he was going to play and so now it's an actual series um mammy leads three two Miami leads going 3-2. Going into game six tonight. Going um, in tonight. So we'll see. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's actual they're series They're playing now. right now. I can't believe we're recording this while they're playing. Well, I mean, they, like, just started. but Yep. They, um, Miami's got the early lead, by the way. That's good. But, yeah, this is a – this should be an interesting game because last game was a complete blowout. 76ers came with no effort. Not, they were just completely lethargic. I'm not exactly sure what happened. A lot of people wanted to say that Embiid was kind of sad that he didn't win MVP. Which I mean, could be partially the case, but I think it. Why, why would that? Well, they said Look, he had. They said it came out with like early reports that like, like someone told here's, him. Here's that, my take he was, on he that. He was being really like quiet and like really. Here's like, my take on that. I if, don't, if I don't know you, if I buy that necessarily. Well, look, I'll go back to Jordan. Think about Jordan. I believe if if you are an MVP. You, I just think you have to be so competitive to be that to you know, and and so I would want my MVP to have the mindset of like, oh, I didn't get it, I'm gonna go out there and show you who's MVP. Yeah, that's exactly. the way and Jordan was. Jordan would go out and saying. embarrass people if they said you know said anything like saying. that. That's what you. Um, that's the mentality you gotta have. But I mean, that's the thing. I don't know if I totally buy that. I mean, to be fair, so the the 76ers as a whole team really came out really just like i said lethargic they were really not giving effort doc rivers was yelling at them in the huddle just begging them to give effort which is a terrible sign in game five of the playoffs um (laughs) it's a pivotal game um but the thing is i don't think it people were like oh it starts with joel Embiid and it trickles down which may be the case but i mean you have to also consider the fact that joel Embiid is dealing with two major other injuries (laughs) like he's literally the dude is out there in a face mask he just cleared concussion protocol. He's playing with an orbital fracture. He's also playing with a torn right, like a torn ligament in his thumb that he needs surgery on that he's just going to play through and get surgery on. After. Like he has two very, like he can't see that well, I'm sure. He can't shoot. Like he literally shot a knuckleball from like eight feet in the game, in like the last game. Yeah. Like dude is, he's struggling. Like he's struggling. Like I don't think it's just, He's like, oh, I'm a little down about him. Like, I don't think that really... I mean, maybe it was partially, but, like, I don't think that's everything. Like, the dude is really struggling. Now, I will say, 
he didn't seem very aggressive. He was not aggressive until like maybe three minutes in the third quarter, and that was it. But again, like, dude's really struggling. Like, even when he is aggressive, I'm sure it's. I yeah. mean, it takes a lot more out of him, and it probably hurts a little bit to shoot like like him. Like oh, a, you know, absolutely. So, you know, I don't know that I buy all that, but. But this, I mean, this should be a really interesting game because, again, the effort level was just not there across the whole board. But So here's my other question. I didn't get a chance to see the whole game. I saw the oh, yeah. uh, Let's last go to night some... between, the, between the Warriors and the Grizzlies. But once again, so Jaw's out. Now it's reported he might be out for the rest of the series. Yeah. No, it's a, he's, yeah. he's going to be out for the rest of the playoffs is, the rest what, of the playoffs is what they said. He's got a bone bruise. You just have to kind of – those are kind of weird. You have to just kind of wait him out. But as happened in the regular season when Jaw was out, Memphis just goes crazy and destroys Golden State. Well, 134 to 95. Okay, but Jaw was out game four, too, and Golden State won. Um it's yeah, a close but, game, but I will. I'm just not even going to really talk about that game. I don't think it really matters. I mean, think I they're going to close it out. Yeah, I mean, State. I think Warriors kind of go into that game like not obviously. No one's really saying it. No one's like really intending for it. But I mean, you're up three one. You're going on the road. Like I mean, you're going into that game with the mindset of you know we lose this, we can win it at home in game six. And even if we lose that, we have another. We know we can win here if we really want to. Like no jaw. All like, right. Like they got out early, and honestly, like you saw, like Jermon Green and Steph Curry were kind of having fun with the crowd, <laughs> like after the game was already gone. Like they're, it's just okay. kind of like not even. So what I'm it's going to be a Golden State Phoenix Suns Western Conference uh, final. Let's talk about the other series, then the Bucks and the Celtics in the yeah, East. Yeah, let's talk that about like some good basketball. <laughs> let's talk about some good games now. Yeah, those were. Uh, Milwaukee takes the three-two lead with the. That was a crazy Such ending. Such an to the incredible game. finish. I Giannis know, and puts that's up just forty. That, that, Tatum puts up thirty-four. That ending was the perfect microcosm of why the Bucks are the defending champs. Like those ending sequences with Bobby Portis and Drew Holiday, that won them the game. That's like that's the identity of the Bucks. I feel like is those kind of those kind of plays. And if you remember, the like play of the finals from last season where they kind of sealed it was that where Drew Holiday ripped the ball out of Devin Booker's hands, ran down and shot a lob up to Giannis in transition, and that was like the game winner. That was like the play everybody was talking about. It was a defensive play. And again, in this game, what won it for them was Bobby Portis giving, getting a bunch of offensive rebounds, first of all, but giving that extra effort to get the board off of the free throw miss, make it, and then Drew Holiday having like the most insane block ever, and then saving it, throwing it off Marcus Smart so they get the ball back. They shoot free throws, come down. Celtics still have a chance to make a three and tie it. But Drew Holiday just steals it from Marcus Smart and the game's over. Like, that's like... That, to me, was just, like, the perfect microcosm of the Bucks, And it really... Sh- like, those those are championship plays. That shows you why they're the defending champs. And they get to take this thing back at home in game six and try and close it out. So, well, we'll see. Yeah, I was trying to look up to see if I could get some holiday card information to share, but I'm not I'm not finding anything right off top, so I'll have to maybe save that for next time. Look, I I think Milwaukee closes that I think one they out. take it in 6, honestly. I've taken Milwaukee every game so far. I've been wrong twice, of course, but I just I think they close it out in game 6. Who would you rather have the Heat face? I oh dude, I want to play Milwaukee so bad. That'd just be my. That would be the perfect Eastern Conference Finals for me. I think that would be such an entertaining series. 
And like I said, I think I talked about this last time where, like, you know, uh, we beat them 4-1 two years ago in the second round. They come back last year and sweep us in the first round. To see it in Eastern Conference Finals, us face off again, I think that would actually be, like, a really long series. That would be really fun. Yeah. And that's, you know... I would love to see either of those two teams in the finals, to be honest with you. so I think it would be fun as well. To be honest with you, I enjoy watching Milwaukee more yeah. so than Boston. I, I just too. enjoy walk- watching Giannis more than Tatum, per se. Mm-hmm. Nothing against Tatum. I just, Giannis to me is a... I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I don't really have um, much else there, so... Nothing else on basketball? No. All right, well... I think that'll be the show then for today. And last time we talked about we were going to be off this next week because we do have the wedding coming up. However, it does now look like we are going to have a show this next week after all. If everything goes as planned, it's going to be a guest interview with Jeremy Lee, who's been in the hobby for a long time. He's got several successful podcasts. We've talked about him before on our show. He's also involved with several different companies in the space. So we are excited to have him on the show and learn more about his journey collecting sports cards. So stay tuned for that. We do plan. We're going to record that earlier, um, and, and then but then we'll drop it uh, next Friday. So you can look forward to that. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, so that's the show. Thanks to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed it today, and please reach out to us and give us your feedback. We do want to hear from you. We use that feedback to make the show better and bring you the content that you find the most valuable and interesting. So let us know your thoughts. Also, check us out on social media. Subscribe and follow our pages and channels. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website, www.the615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list. Yep, please tell your family and friends about us as well. Encourage them to listen to the show. Follow us on your podcast outlet. We have been actually seeing some nice growth in our followers over the past month or so, so happy to see that. All right, show number 30 is in the books. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you all next Friday, same time, same place, here on the 615 Collector.